Welcome to Interleaved, where we take a deep dive into topics from the Dafyomi with modern-day sages of the Torah and the world. I'm Adina Karp, usually your producer, but today, your host. On today's episode, Making It Home in the Modern Era. Early on in Masechet Shabbat, there's a single line embedded in a much larger discussion. Af mi shehech shich lo baderech noten kisolagoy. In a case of one who is carrying a purse with money in it on Shabbat Eve, and it got dark for him on the way, he should give his purse to the Gentile accompanying him. This issue isn't brought up again until more than 100 pages later. The first Mishnah in the last chapter of Shabbat discusses what a person should do if they find themselves traveling and don't make it home in time for Shabbat. Some of the main focuses of the following discussion is methodology of travel, accompaniment, and balancing values. In celebration of the siyum of this long Masechet, we asked you, our listeners, to tell us how this Mishnah played out in your real life. Of course, for many the celebration of Shabbat already looks totally different from what is described in the Mishnah. But, as we've heard all season from our experts, while the world described in the text we study may look different to us today, some of the same feelings and intentionalities have remained throughout the centuries. Listener, welcome to the podcast. Hi, my name is Avi Robinson. I live in Efra. I am uh, 41, married with four children, professionally a panic attorney. My story was actually when I was dating in the fall of 2007. At the time, I was a rabbinical student at Yeshiva University, and I was taking some time off from my time in New York and doing a long-term substitute teaching gig up in Boston. But I was going back to New York every now and then. This was actually the very first weekend that I had started this arrangement, going back to New York in October. It was right after Circus. So sure enough, I look at my teaching schedule, see that I end teaching around 1 o'clock. Shabbos begins somewhere around 5.30. There's time. And I get in the car and head out going. And this was my first pleasant experience or lack thereof of the traffic through Connecticut on a Friday afternoon. And I just realized at a certain point that it just wasn't going to happen. I wound up ditching my car at the Metro North Station in Stamford and taking the train the rest of the way. My logic for doing that was that if I continue driving the car, I will certainly be violating a Torah prohibition of Shabbat. Whereas if I get on the train, the most I will do is once I paid for me on the train, which I still was do, able to do during the day, was just swipe my subway card. But then once I swipe my subway card, I would let the subway carry me where it was going. And that is less of a prohibition, if perhaps not even a prohibition at all. It was all on the fly. You know, sometimes you just are in a crisis and your adrenaline gets you moving. And this was definitely the way this felt, that I, I knew I was in a crisis, I knew I couldn't continue, and just took it one step at a time, that, uh, okay, get on the train. And then once I was on the train, I had to call some people to let them know I wasn't going to be showing up until later, leave a key out for me where we're going to be sleeping. And I had to, you know, arrange to leave all my stuff in advance with the, at the, and get late to the first Shabbat meal on Friday night on Upper East Side. Actually, the most tense moment of all of that was swiping my subway card as I was entering subway out of Grand Central, because that was the one time when I knew that I was violating Shabbat on some level, like probably a rabbinic level, probably a very low level. It was also a rabbinic time, being a shmashot. But, um... That's what I remember most of all is like, I wonder how I made that balance at the time, how to decide to go on the subway versus doing something else like walking and schlepping a 25 pound bag for 60 blocks. And I guess 
I don't even remember how I made that decision, but that's the decision that I made. So that's what I did. I ditched the car, got on the train, looking at my watch, looking at the sun, facing west as I, out the windows of the train. I'd say when I got to Grand Central, it was just at the point of the start of Shabbat. And I think when I actually got onto the subway, it was already Ben Hashemashot. It was already after the last time for candle lighting. But, uh, you know, at least it was minimizing that prohibition to the extent that I could. And so I made my way up to the Upper East Side, schlepping all my belongings with me that I was carried for Shabbat. Showed up to the Shabbos meal two hours late, found the bathroom to change into Shabbos clothes, ditched my bag, ditched my wallet at that apartment of these people who had never met in the Upper East Side, and headed off by foot to go to Washington Heights, because that's where I was sleeping that night, which was a, a bit of an effort. It was stressful, kind of tiring. Now, the next morning, I had another Shabbos meal lined up in Washington Heights. I knew about this one in advance, the organizer. This was way back when Facebook was something novel in the fall of 2007. And the organizer of this meal had made a group of everybody who was going to be in the meal and so we sort of meet each other and what everyone's bringing. And so I saw that the organizer, who was a woman, tilted the odds in the favor of uh, only six men and 12 women. So I figured, you know, I'm, I'm here for basically to look, meet people. And I've got to get a date out of this, this situation. And so we met everybody at the meal. And then someone mentioned that she worked for Chazon. And I knew about Chazon because they did the bike rides. I was completely at the other end of the table from her. Uh, but then at dessert, I started to switch my seats. I spoke with her a little bit more. And then eventually, thanks to Facebook, because I didn't really have the courage to do it in person, but I asked her out. And we agreed to, to, to meet the following week. Now, the following week, the same situation happened. But this time, I knew already that I wasn't going to make it. So I, I knew already in advance that I was going to stop in Stanford. And actually, our second date was a trip on the Metro North to pick up my car. <laughs> And so, you know, the story's pretty short from there. Uh, we got engaged a few weeks after that. Uh, we got married five months after that. And now here we are, uh, four cities later, four kids later in Israel. And I, I asked her about this because I said I was going to go on this podcast to talk about my story. And I asked her, you know, you know, what did you think about me when you heard that I had this crazy thing and I got to Shabbos late, I had to ditch the car and I had to blah, blah, blah. She said, I can't believe you put yourself in that situation. I just can't believe it. And sure enough, since we've been married, the number of times we've cut it that close has been zero. She's a very punctual, comes from a very punctual family, a very organized family, practical is her middle name. And that's certainly improved my life for the better. But as I was reflecting on the story, uh, what came to mind was actually the line we learned in Daf Kufutet, uh, the punchline of the story of Yosef Mokir Shabbat, which is if you borrow in favor of the Shabbat, the Shabbat will pay you back. And I feel like that Shabbat, I made extra efforts to get where I was needing to go in the, in the way which made me feel most comfortable. And I think that might have made me even a little more motivated by the time the Shabbat lunch came around to try to get some sort of payback for it and to overcome whatever hesitation there might be of just asking someone out and uh, moving forward. And then I later learned that she had her reasons for also being ready at that time. But anyway, that's what I like to think about it, that uh, I gave a little bit to Shabbat the night before and Shabbat gave back to me for the last 12 and a half years. My name is Aliana Yashker, and I'm 24. I live in Jerusalem, and I'm doing Ulpan this year. I have a story to share with all of you about 
one time I didn't make it home for Shabbos. It's actually a bit of a peculiar story because it's not that I didn't make it home, but it was the fact that I was on a bus with 40 campers that I was staffing along with two other counselors. We were trying to make it to a hotel for Shabbat for a Camp Shabbaton. This was with a bunch of eighth graders who attended Camp Moshavah in the summers. So these were some of the campers I was a camp counselor for, and it was a reunion during the year where we'd get to spend some time each other, each other over Shabbat. We ended up leaving not so close to Shabbat, but not, you know, extremely early from New York City in order to hopefully make it to a random place in New Jersey before Shabbat started. And it was also winter, a classic time for camp Shabbatones, where Shabbat starts pretty early. So... We left New York and we were driving, everything seemed fine. All of a sudden we were stuck in traffic and we realized that Shabbat is about to come very soon. So we start panicking. We don't know what to do. There's 40 kids, a lot of parents who don't want their kids to be breaking Shabbos. So we as counselors had a little bit of a conundrum and we decided to take a few steps. So first of all, we phoned a few postgame, so halakhic decisors who answer different halakhic shalas or questions about what to do. And we said, here's our situation, 40 campers, we need to make it to the hotel before Shabbat starts. And we also probably shouldn't turn back with the bus because even if it's better for Shabbat, in terms of the kids being able to keep Shabbat, it also would mean that all their parents would have to come to New York to pick them up. So it's confusing. So what do we do? So we ended up talking to these halakhic decisors who told us to stay on the road. And just when we come to the hotel, have the bus driver take all of their suitcases out of the bottom of the bus, turn off everyone's phones when Shabbat starts, except for the counselors. And, you know, that's how we had to do it. So we packed everyone's cell phones in a giant plastic bag, told everyone to turn them off at 4.51, whatever it was. And we started singing La Chidoti on the bus. That was after a hour and a half long period of time where many parents would call me as the counselor asking about what is done in such crazy halachic situations. What does it mean if there's a halachic emergency like this? Are we bad Jews? Are we sinning? You know, is there something God would prefer us to do as second best rather than complete worst? Like, what are the priorities? Some parents were really freaked out about this notion that their kids were going to break Shabbat. I turned the bus back around, go back to New York. You know, I live in Manhattan, I'll pick them up. But other parents don't live in Manhattan, so they wouldn't have the option to just do that. So here's the question of one parent with their actions, if they get their way, will have their kid keep Shabbat, but then other kids will keep Shabbat at an even lesser likelihood. So to what extent are you responsible for other people being able to observe the Torah, like all these different things. So I had a lot of parents ask me things like that. So all these different ways that people react to halacha in unexpected circumstances, which is just very um, interesting to think about. So we eventually figured it out, and the kids sing Lechadori on the bus. We got to the hotel. A group of conspicuous campers walks into davening while everyone else is already davening. You know, everyone knows what happened. After that, we got to talk to the campers about what it means to be a Jewishly involved person in situations where life is complicated, gets really sticky, and there's all sorts of situations that demand our attention and demand us to prioritize different values. So especially in this case, the halacha that was applied was how there's a notion of psikat halacha b'shat adchak, so halakhic decision-making in times of extenuating circumstances. Does Judaism have what to say when, you know, there's a lot of circumstantial things playing in and you have to choose the best scenario? Does God care about situations like that? 
He told the campers that, yes, if we're going to be involved in passionate Jews, we have to know what to do about our Jewish lives and all these different kinds of circumstances. For example, the Gemara talks about, and Halachic decisors after that discuss what happens in the case of danger where one needs to be Mechalal Shabbat to be safe. And rather than getting stuck with a bus at a random gas station, better to just make it to the hotel where it's safest for all the kids, even though they spend more time in the vehicle over Shabbat. Being able to tell the campers that the lessons from the most valuable Jewish organizations that you're a part of are there with you everywhere. And it's, it's a great thing to learn. My name is Natasha Shabbat. I live in Concord, Massachusetts. I've been teaching Hebrew to adult students around Boston for 21 years. So I do have a story. Back in 1995, I was in Israel with a tour and I was newly from and the rest of the group really wasn't. So I made plans ahead of time to spend Shabbat at Or Haganuz, which is up near Tzfat. And I got on the bus in Jerusalem on Friday morning, and it was not a direct route. And we meandered around, and at some point, the bus got to Akko, and this was spring. And in Akko and all the streets around the bus station there, there was a huge flood. Like, I had never seen so much water pouring down streets. And the bus got completely stuck in the flood, and time was ticking, and I only had, like, I think it was a maybe a 45-minute bus ride from there to Orhaganus, and Shabbat was coming. Well, I was super disappointed as the time was ticking, and of course, I was still trying to not give up hope, and like, well, if we get out of this flood in the next 10 minutes, I might still be able to make it. Well, if we make it in the next eight minutes, maybe I'll still be able to. Um, and I tried to picture, like, what if I just get off the bus right now? But the water in the street looked like it was almost like waist level, and I tried to imagine, like, you know, in my skirt and carrying my bag above my head somehow, wading through this water. It looked really dangerous also. So um, I was just trying to imagine, you know, how I could magically get over this flood out of, you know, like I wanted to fly. And Shabbat was coming and it was clear that I was not going to get there in time. So the bus dropped me at some dry place in Akko and I got a hotel room and then I ran to the local store and grabbed a bunch of things that I could buy that didn't need a refrigerator. And I spent Shabbat alone in this not so great motel room eating room temperature things uh, for Shabbat and I never made it to Oraga News. I imagined staying on the bus and just sticking it out and arriving at Oraga News, you know, after Shabbat started and I didn't know my way around there and you're right, I didn't have a smartphone with Google Maps or anything else like that and I'm not very good at with directions either so um, I didn't end up doing that. Maybe that would have been the best plan. I don't know how far from the bus stop at Oraga News I would have to walk carrying my bag on Shabbat. I just felt like it would be so embarrassing. I didn't want to be doing that on Shabbat and I didn't know how. My name is Elliot Heller. I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. I went to Yeshiva University and currently about to start a job uh, as an insurance agent. When I was in Israel after high school during my gap year, I decided to stay for Pesach. I wanted to, you know, really get the full year experience and see what Pesach was like there. Um, I also, you know, asked my rabbi and, you know, was allowed to keep one day of Yom Tov. So I wanted to see what that would be like. Thankfully, I have a, a good network of friends, family friends in Israel. Pesach time, there were, you know, it was towards the end of the year and I guess a few families still I hadn't gotten together with. So one of them, I, I just doing the math of how it worked out that year, um, I realized, you know, it would make sense to just ask them if I could sort of stay by them for Cholomoid, you know, for not the, the Yom Tov, but just in the middle. I think there was a Shabbos uh, involved in there as well. So 
you know, I called them up and they said they'd be happy to have me. And I spent, besides the Seder I was in Jerusalem for, and then, but the rest of the, the holiday I was, I was there until the last. And at that point I, I was going to these Israeli family friends I'd never really met. I, I mean, we knew them from New Jersey and we left there when I was a baby. So um, I'd heard a lot about them, um, but I'd never met them. And I would, you know, wanted to see, they lived in the North in uh, a smaller Moshav called El Yakim, which is sort of near Zichron Yaakov. And so the the first people I was at, they were in Karnei Shomron, which is in you know the West Bank. And I really planned everything out ahead of time. I really wanted to make sure that you know I, I wouldn't be cutting anything close. It was about a three-hour trip, uh, maybe even two and a half. That's what it was supposed to be. There's an app called Move It, which is a transportation app. I went on that and, and it said, you know, uh, take the 1130 bus, go to Bnei transfer to somewhere else. And it pretty much would be three buses. I would get there by about 2 or 2.30. And so everything was going fine. I say goodbye and thank you, my hosts. I, I, I thought I was doing everything right. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't always work out the way you plan. So what happened was that first bus, the bus just didn't come. We were waiting and waiting, and I don't know what happened, but it did not come. The next one wasn't scheduled until quarter to one. So I got in that bus at 12.45, and I figure, okay, like, that's not ideal, but I still have plenty of time. This, sh- this shouldn't be an issue. Yontif wasn't supposed to start until, like, seven, so it should have been fine. And while I was on the bus, I checked the Move It app to see if the directions were still current. And they weren't because, you know, I'd lost an hour and 15 minutes. So, you know, I had to take a different bus now. Okay, fine. I figure out whatever bus it is. Now, when I get to Bnei Brak, I got on a city bus, the number two bus. And I realized at some point I was taking it the wrong direction. So I get off, I take it in the right direction. And at that point, I still had to walk a few blocks. At this point, I should mention that I had a big suitcase, a big laundry bag, I think a guitar with me. And just the scene of just me like wandering through the streets of Bnei Brak on Erev Yomtif was, was kind of crazy. But in any case, I, get, I got off the bus, had to walk about three long blocks, that's the way I remember it. And I was just extremely tired at that point because I was stressed. That bus thing, that getting them the wrong way, I think it cost me like at least a half hour, maybe more. And so I just did not want to walk those three blocks. So I, I see a cab and I'm like, have all these things let me just take this cab three blocks and i get in israeli driver asked me where i'm going and i tell him in hebrew and he asked me where where am i going eventually and i say well eventually i'm going to you know moshe Yakim. and he's like oh well in that case you need to go to the central bus station uh you know if, if tel aviv and i'll take you there for only this amount of shekels and i'm like oh no please i, I don't <laughs> i want that just, just just take me to this intersection which i you know i finally figured out what I was supposed to do and how, when I was supposed to get there. He didn't really want to do that. We got into it a little bit and I just I just got out of the cab. I walked the three blocks. I got, I got to the, the place. It was 3.30 about and the bus was supposed to come at 3.45. I mean, when I do the math, I think I, I ended up in Bnei Brak for about two hours. 3.30, I'm at the, the bus stop. 3.45, no bus yet. 3.50, 3.55. Finally, the bus comes at 4. Now, hour and a half drive from there to the second to last stop and from there it's just a 20 minute bus if the bus had been on time i would have been at 5 15 is when i would have gotten to the the first stop and then like 5 35 around then is, was when i would be at my final destination still an hour and a half before yonto should be fine those 15 minutes though just like the first time very costly and you know, i missed that last bus and in israel you know close to shabbos and yontif like things shut down what by the time i got there and, and the bus you know, got there an hour and a half later, so I got there at 5.30. I waited for a half hour, and that 
bus never came. Small bus stop, the intersection of two sort of highways. As it gets to like six o'clock, in Israel, there's a, there's a culture of, of hitchhiking. It's in many parts of the country, it's, it's accepted. And uh, in this situation, I, I said, this is what I have to do. And, and, and if you're going to ask, by the way, <laughs> why didn't I just call my host and see if they could pick me up? The answer to that is, I, you know, I should admit at this point that my phone had died right as I got on that long bus ride to where I was. And my computer, which I was charging it on, had also died. And now, you know, if any other bus had come, I would have flagged it down. And getting really desperate at this point that, you know, because remember, Yonsa starts around 7. I got an hour left. It's only a 20-minute drive, but, you know, that's, that's a 20-minute drive. I need to get there. Still nobody stopped. At that point, it's around 6, and I'm thinking, all right, this isn't working. I need to figure something else out. And now I had my real last resort, which was that I saw across the one of, you know, across the street, across the highway was what looked like a, a yeshuv. I, I, I'm saying, okay, I have no choice at this point. I really need to get there. My hosts are probably worried about it. I don't remember. I maybe have... I may have contacted them and told them that my phone was going to die or whatever it was. But I got halfway across the highway, got to the median, and I'm about to cross and, and, and go and see if I can borrow someone's phone or, or stay there. And I see this red SUV pull up, and this young Israeli guy with a black hat and jacket yells out the window, Le'ana Tatsarich, where do you need to go? I, I yell back, Moshe Avel Yakim. And I guess he slows down. And he says in Hebrew, like, oh, sorry, we're going to B'nai Brak, you know, the place I just came from, right? So I yelled out because this was like, you know, an hour left. I got I to gotta get going here. So I yell out, Loma Shaneta, so it doesn't matter. Please help me. And like I had to yell for him to hear me because I think he was already past me. He, he pulled over past like the traffic light and pulled, pulled over on the side of the road. I cross over to him and I see it's a couple, uh, a young Israeli Haredi couple. You know, I explain the situation, and they're super nice and understanding. And the interesting thing is, I didn't even flag them down. They just, I think they saw this just, like, clearly lost American yeshiva student, you know, needed to be somewhere and, and was, like, helpless. And I, I explain the situation, and I say, you know, well, let's, let's see if we can call your hosts. Let's see if we can get you in touch with them, because, you know, we're at, like, almost 45 minutes before... Yontif at this point, for them to get back to B'nai Brak, they have to get moving very soon. So they, they let me charge my phone in their car. We called a few cab companies. And, you know, since it's so close to Yom Tov, the, the companies we were calling, you know, they, they didn't have anybody in the area. They didn't want to send anybody in the area. They wouldn't get back in time. The guy says to me, look, you know, it's 45 minutes before Yom Tov. We've got to get back to B'nai Brak. We, we really got to get back. So, you know, either come with us or you're not. And I'm like, I guess I'm going with you. <laughs> so I get my stuff in the trunk and we, we get on the road. Now here's where it gets really crazy. Up until now, it's a crazy story, but it's not like crazy, crazy. They were coming from the spot. And he said they were going to take Highway 6, which is the main way, I guess, to get to B'nai Brock. And he said at the last minute, they decided, he, he decided just for no apparent reason to take, to take this other route, which took him right by me. If he hadn't done that, you know, I, I realized as soon as I pulled up to the window that the woman was very pregnant. But they didn't talk about that, and I didn't ask about that. Once we got on the road, you know, they mentioned, like, they were coming from Spot because they had just dropped off their two kids at the grandparents because they were going back to B'nai Brock to check into the hospital and have this baby. At this point, I'm like, wow, Malachim. You know, they must be angels. I mean, I didn't flag them down, right? At that point, just in total disbelief, and I start to, I just pull up my phone, which is now somewhat charged, and I, um... I say, like, okay, I need, I, need to, I need to write this down. I need to get down every detail before Yontif. I need to, like, start remember it. Because this, this story is going to, like, live on forever. On the way, they said, like, you know, they're not 
having meals, obviously, because they're going to the hospital, having a baby. But they insisted that I stay by them. Walking through the streets of um, B'nai Brak, you know, where I had spent that day, ironically, you know, they, they close everything off on Shabbos and Yantif. I'm walking there. I'm like, this is the most Jewish atmosphere. This is like, you know, a regular Yantif, but I'm not supposed to be here right now. You know, I just kept thinking like, I'm supposed to be, I was thinking like, I'm supposed to be on the, on the side of the road. I'm supposed to be, you know, thinking, like sleeping on my suitcase and like figuring out what to do and how to flag someone down because at that point, we would have been able to, to take a cab, you know, just not really safe to, to be out there. Just kept having that thought, I'm not supposed to be here right now. So I was just so grateful for this couple. Hadran Alech Masechet Shabbat. Thanks again for everyone who shared their stories and enthusiasm with us. It was a real pleasure to hear from you. Between episodes, you can keep up with Interleaved on Facebook and Twitter. And if you like what you heard, leave us a review, subscribe, and share this with your friends. Special thanks to our host, Natanel Zelis-Pillay, who'll be back next time for another deep dive. See you then.